0: So much Eric, thank you Rick and Abby. You know, the donkey thing isn't that far-fetched. In my neighborhood, if we do church at my lawn again, uh, Eric and I have literally taken walks and found ponies, like just grazing and having to walk them home. So I could totally find a donkey in my neighborhood, that's all I'm saying. Uh, We're going to pray though before we dive into God's Word today, Uh, I invite you guys to pray with me. Uh, Dear Lord, you're good. Uh, Dear Lord, uh, Holy Week is a time of reflection where we get to see how good you really are. Lord, how you are for us as your children, Lord, and that uh, we are again drawn into a story that reminds us who you are, uh, unfortunately sometimes who we are, uh, and yet a God who still calls us into something beyond ourselves. Lord, I pray that you just use this time to help us reflect on you. All God's kids say, amen. Well, it's good to be with you guys on Palm Sunday. I think this is going to work. Here we go. Oh, we got like a little background. It's nice. Um, But Palm Sunday, in fact, the entire book of Matthew that we're going to be hanging out mostly in today, is focused on one question. What kind of king would Jesus be? And this was a long-term question. This was a question that a lot of people had been asking for a long time. In fact, the Old Testament, for about 500 years, there had been a promise that there would be a son of David, someone from the line of David, who would come to be king. And the question was, well, what kind of king? What would he look like? What would his agenda be? And the book of Matthew really sets it off. It starts off by just doing the lineage of David, of this king who would be for Israel, and unpacking what would his kingdom look like. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, has these words from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near or come near. I was in seminary taking a Gospels class, so we were going through all the Gospels, Matthew through John, and I had a professor who was adamant that this line in Matthew was the title of Jesus' entire ministry. He said, this is the header That everything else that Jesus is going to do, everything else that Jesus came to be, would fall under. That the kingdom of God, that us to repent, us to turn back to God, because God is going to do something new, was the header of everything else that Jesus was talking about. So what does that word kingdom mean? Well, in Greek, it means jurisdiction or power or power or agenda we don't really have kingdoms in the same way today that they did in ancient times the word also could mean reign but again that's not a word that we use that often so when we talk about jurisdiction well a mayor has jurisdiction of a city right so leander has a mayor and here's jurisdiction his power and his agenda ends or covers all of leander but it ends at cedar park it ends at liberty hill and then there's a governor Right? And his jurisdiction ends at the state of Texas. And then we have a president, and his jurisdiction ends at the borders of our country. That, that's really what kingdom means. It's the jurisdiction meets the power, meets the authority, a- and meets the agenda. And so what Matthew starts off is going through, this is the agenda, this is the authority, this is the jurisdiction, this is the power of what heaven on earth looks like for you and for me and for the entire world. And everyone, well, almost everyone, likes to say they follow Jesus' agenda. You'd be like, no, 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 Josh, Josh, there are all kinds of people who don't like Jesus, and you're sort of right, but for the most part, Jesus isn't the problem. Gandhi had a famous quote. He says, I am fine with Jesus... It's his people that I have trouble with, right? Uh, And so there's this dissonance that happens there. But even in that, it's we like our idea of Jesus. We like our narrow selected version of who Jesus is. You know what a Venn diagram is, right? This is where all the circles overlap. So I want to show you this. So therapist, backstreet boys, and four-year-old. All right? Tell me why, okay? All of these have the same agenda, right? The four-year-old, mom, tell me why. Therapist, tell me why. Backstreet boys, tell me why. But essentially what's happening here is where these overlap is the agenda or is where things kind of sync up, right? And the four-year-old has a different thing than the therapist and the Backstreet Boys, but for that one thing, it makes sense. And and the world is full of this. So if you're a a fundamentalist, Right? Be perfect. Therefore, therefore, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. If you think it's about following the rules, you can find Scripture, you can find statements of Jesus that overlap in that Venn diagram. If you're a humanist, love your neighbor as yourself. Absolutely, right? Oh, God just wants us to love one another. One of my best friends up north, biggest heart in the world. And he's a humanist. He is a secular humanist. So he, he doesn't believe in God. He's atheist. But man, he loves parts of Jesus. And this guy does so much good, and I love him. Biggest heart. Man, Josh, if people would just love their neighbor as themselves, it'd be all about that. But what he ends up doing is he, he kind of retools some of what Jesus did, and he puts his own spin on it. He puts his own agenda on it. And so Jesus doesn't do miracles when he feeds 5,000 people. Instead, Jesus shares a sandwich. And from his perspective, that works better. See, all of us do that. It's not, it's not just atheists. It's not just Lutherans or Baptists or Catholics. You see, all of us have our own agendas. And all of us like to design Jesus to match it. Like, literally, we each have our own designer Jesus. Right, like designer clothes, right? We kind of pick and choose Well, what kind of Jesus do we want to follow? And y'all, this isn't new. In fact, the disciples, the disciples who spent more time that went the wrong way. There we go. Uh, uh, didn't always get Jesus in gender. Thank you. All right? The disciples spent three and a half years with Jesus, following him, learning from him, seeing him do miracle after miracle after miracle. And they towards the end of his ministry, still did not get the agenda of Jesus. I want to just go through a couple examples of what that looks like. All right, so Matthew, this is going to be page 1257 if you've got the Bibles we've all been using. If not, pull it up on your phone, whatever else. I just want to go through a few examples of the apostles not necessarily syncing up with Jesus. So this is Matthew 19, verses 13 and 14. There we go. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven, there's that word again, kingdom, belongs to such as these. He placed his hands on them and he went from there. Families were trying to get their kids to Jesus. And the disciples, the apostles, the closest ones in the circles were like, no, 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 Jesus doesn't have time for them, right? They, they in their own mind, were like, okay, we need to find the most valuable people for Jesus to talk to, right? We want the rulers, we want the rabbis, we want the rich, we want the famous. And, And kids are none of those things. And in ancient times, with children mortality rates where they were, Really, until you were old enough, until you were an adolescent to carry your own weight, you were considered, as a child, a deficit, a burden. And so from the disciples' perspective, right, they're protecting Jesus from this burden. Don't waste your time here. And Jesus flips the script and he's like, no, 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 what, what, what are you doing? The kingdom of heaven, my agenda, my jurisdiction, my power is for the weak. My jurisdiction is for everyone. God doesn't have grandchildren. God has children. And every generation, he reaches out to and says, I want you to be a part of my family. I want to bring you up. I want to raise you up in my kingdom, under my jurisdiction, protected by my power, with my agenda. But again, the disciples, they had it wrong. All right? Next section one page over all right this upside down kingdom i love this story it's one of the funniest stories in all of scripture in my opinion Uh, matthew chapter 20 verse 20 and following then the mother of the Zebedee sons came to jesus with her sons knelt down and asked him a favor what is it you want jesus asked and she said grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at the left in your kingdom okay so what's happening here this is helicopter parenting next level, right? So all the teachers in the uh, in our church, and we've got a bunch of you, you've met parents like this, right? Where it's like, yes, I know all the kids are special, but my kid is is really special, right? He really needs that A. He really needs that gold star. He needs to be at the top of the list. And so they send their mom to ask for them. Like, this is... I mean, these are grown men, right? This isn't like a five-year-old. This isn't a seven-year-old. These are adults, right, who send their mom to figure out, can we get like a more choice spot when he enters into his kingdom, when he enters into his reign, into his agenda, right? They've got this picture of what that kingdom, what that agenda is going to be, and they want to be part of it. They, They want top choice spots, And so they find their way. I'm going to go be the ultimate mama's boy, right? And we're going to send our mom in to ask for us. And, uh, yeah, this doesn't go well. Uh, And, in fact, uh, verse 24, when the other ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. What? What the what? Dude, just grow up. Literally, grow up. Also, shame on you. Also, we want those positions of power, right? Indignant. No, no, no. Let me give you my resume, Jesus. Let me tell you why I'm better than Peter. Let me tell you why I'm better than James. Let me tell you why I'm better than John. See, in their mind, God's agenda, his power, his jurisdiction, when he came into his full authority, it would make them more powerful. And what does Jesus tell them? Well, verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers and the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." The disciples thought they understood the agenda of what God was going to do, and they were going to be first in line for it. right? The first followers, these are the people who seeded the money, right? the venture capitalists. So when it blows up, we're going to be first in line for our payout. And Jesus turns on and he says, no, guys, that's not what I'm up to. In fact, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. This is going to be a kingdom, a power, an agenda of love and of compassion, and of service, just as I, Jesus says, the Son of Man, didn't come to be served. I, I didn't show up and say, hey, it's all about, it, it was all about Jesus, and how did he do it? By saying, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to be for you. One last uh, instance of the apostles not getting it. We're going to switch books real quick. Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 35. Uh, This is coming towards the end of Jesus' ministry. And uh, he's preparing his disciples for what was going to come. He's preparing his disciples for a different, well, something they weren't expecting. He, Jesus, then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law uh, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside, and but, but Peter took him aside to rebuke him. Alright, so Jesus is essentially laying out what's gonna happen. Y'all, I'm gonna go to the city, I'm gonna be rejected. They're going to kill me, but I'm going to come back to life again. So Jesus lays it all on the ground, right? This is what's going to happen. And Peter, being Peter, is like, this is a bad agenda, right? This is a bad idea, Jesus. And so Peter, being who Peter is, just always brash, shows up and rebukes Jesus. But Jesus turned, and he looked at his disciples, and he rebuked Peter. And this is some hard stuff. He says, get behind me, Satan, For you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That had to have been hard for Peter, right? That all of a sudden, he's so in line with the agenda, right? He's seen Jesus do all this stuff, but then when Jesus says, hey, this is what it's going to look like, he rebukes, and then Jesus has to turn around and say, get behind me, Satan. That, that's how backwards, that's how out of sync that Venn diagram was. Not gentle Jesus, rebuking Jesus. Right? All of us struggle with Jesus' agenda. The disciples struggled with Jesus' agenda. And what we're going to see is that the crowds struggled with Jesus' agenda. A little background on Israel at the time. Uh, Israel had been conquered separate times. First by the Assyrians, then by the Babylonians, actually four times, then by the Persians, and then by the Romans. So this is their fourth occupation. The fourth time that they had been occupied by another nation. They were no longer independent. They were being overtaxed. They didn't have the same rights as Roman citizens. They were a backwater country being abused. And God had told them in the Old Testament, this happened because you weren't faithful to me. Because you chose to seek other gods for protection. Those gods couldn't protect you. But he had promised that the king would come one day. And that this king would be a different type of king. His kingdom would look different. And what they had done was they had taken and proof-texted their version of what this king was going to look like. And so this crowd had an agenda for this king. And that agenda looked like you're going to make us powerful again. And you're not going to like the people that we don't like. And it's going to be our priorities and our understanding of what is good, not necessarily what God's identity and understanding of what is good is. And so that's what happens on Palm Sunday. So we get to... Matthew 21, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, while others cut branches from the roads and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him shouted, Hosanna, praise the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, in the highest, our agenda is finally going to be fulfilled, we're going to be powerful again, we're going to be respected again, everything's going to be okay they had a Venn diagram of what Jesus was supposed to look like and what type of king he was supposed to be. And over the next four days, that agenda starts to get further and further apart. They're realizing, yeah, Jesus has got some really cool tricks he can do. Right? He can feed lots of people. Sign me up for that. Oh, he can heal any disease? Sign me up for that agenda. But but wait, why is Jesus clearing out the temple? Wait, wait, why is Jesus saying, I'm still supposed to pay taxes to Caesar? Why isn't Jesus fulfilling my agenda, our agenda? And four days later, the crowds realize, you know what? This isn't working out very well. And their response well, we see that in Matthew 27 few pages over. Verses 11 and following. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replies, you have said so. And when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But again, Jesus made no reply, not even a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, there was a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked him, well, which one do you want me to release? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who was called the Messiah? For even he, the governor, knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. Verse 20. Verse 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. Which shall I do then with this Jesus who was called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Well, why? What crime has he committed, Pilate asked. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Hosanna. Son of David, promised king, here to fulfill our agenda. Crucify him, crucify him. Because what they realized was their agenda wasn't lining up anymore. And humanity has a pretty visceral reaction when our agenda is threatened. That's why every war has ever happened in the history of the world. A country had an agenda and they saw another country getting in the way of their agenda. And so we'll go to war for it. It's what breaks down families, right? When one spouse has one agenda and another spouse has another agenda, so it's it breaks down friendships, communities. And all of us like to bogart parts of Jesus. Yeah, Give me the good stuff, but, but not the hard stuff. But that's not the real Jesus. So the reality is, all of us play the same game. So how do we get out of the game? And what does that look like? What is his true agenda? Well, I would love to tell you I could reduce it to a simple proposition, right? A good place to start would be Jesus in John 14 saying, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way. It's my method. My posture. My prescriptions. I am the truth. And I am the life. Okay, we like to mix and match these. I like to mix and match these. Okay, God, I definitely want your life. Um, and I'm cool with your truth, but I'm going to do it my way. All right. Or, no, 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 okay, I'll do your way. I will do your life, but the truth is I don't like my neighbor that much. Alright? So I'll pick and choose which parts that I want to apply to my life. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But there's, there's a big thing here. He's not going to be reduced to a set of propositions. And, and this is maybe the biggest takeaway for this Palm Sunday. I wish I could just say, hey, Memorize these five Bible verses, and you guys got it. There are headers that we can use. Love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. But but there's more to it than that. We've got Ten Commandments right? that certainly give us parameters, guidelines, things that will hurt us if we go beyond them. But what God is up to, his agenda, is more than just the Ten Commandments. It's more than a quiz. And sometimes we get that in our head. That's what Christianity is. That the end goal is one day we're going to get to heaven, and as long as we know the right answers to the test, we have somehow done what God wanted us to do. Right? If, as long as I know the right propositions God has for me, God has for the world, do you know Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Yes. Woohoo! You got the question answered, you're in. Right? We treat salvation that way. We treat discipleship that way. That if we can just know the right things, maybe it's not 10 propositions, maybe it's 50 propositions, maybe it's 100 propositions. It doesn't work that way. What we see in scripture is when Jesus says, I am the truth, that means the truth isn't propositions. The truth is a person. The truth is God incarnate. And the good news is that God was willing to put on human flesh. He was willing to incarnate himself. That instead of us having to say, okay, God, what is the right answer to this specific thing? He says, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to be with you. I want to teach you. And so our teacher is literally truth incarnate. And y'all, that is a good news situation because we live in a really confusing time, right? Like everything is confusing right now, right? Gender is confusing right now money is confusing right now politics is conf- everything is just broken everything is confusing and propositions aren't going to fix it but a person who is the way a person who is the truth a person who is the life is up to that task and has an agenda and has jurisdiction and has power and so what does that look like well it's so as we learn to follow Jesus as capital L Lord and Savior. Okay, how many of you have ever heard the uh, phrase Jesus as Lord and Savior before? Raise your hands, right? Kind of sounds familiar, right? Typically when we say that as Christians, what I have found is we really mean little L Lord, big S Savior, right? Oh my gosh, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Sign me up for that. I will take fire insurance all day long, right? We love Jesus as Savior. Oh, he's willing to die for me? Dude, that guy's awesome. I'm going to hang out with him. i got my own personal hero, my own personal Depesh Mode, my own personal Jesus. Yeah! All right? We love Jesus as Savior. We're less comfortable with Jesus as Lord. And so we make it little L Lord. And we play the Venn diagram game. And we're like, okay, I like these parts of Jesus, I like these sayings of Jesus, these teachings of Jesus, but then there's this other stuff where I'm like, eh, I'll have other little lords take care of those ones. I'll have other teachers. I'll have other places of truth that I will go to, that I will learn from, that I'll model myself after, that I'll let have agenda and jurisdiction and power in my life. And that's idolatry. That's literally what idolatry means. It means trusting in something else for our protection other than God. And so what Jesus is saying, and this is actually how we navigate complicated times, is seeking to have a relationship not only as Jesus as Lord or Jesus as Savior, not only with Jesus as friend, not only as Jesus as Redeemer, but Jesus as Lord. I was talking to uh, Luke Hargrove, our head elder, on Monday uh, last week. And we're having a really robust conversation about really confusing topics like gender and and sexuality. And we were talking through like where we stood on certain things and what that looked like. And we, we had opinions. We had thoughts. But ultimately what I told him, I'm like, you know what we really need to be better at as the church. What I need to be better at as pastor, what we as disciples of Christ need to be better at is coming before Jesus and realizing he's going to mess with us. Because we do not have a transgender problem in America, we have a gender problem in America that affects all of us. We don't have a homosexuality problem in America, we have a sexuality problem in America and it affects all of us. We have a money problem in America and it affects all of us. We've got all these issues. And what God is calling us to do is to encounter him as Lord, and this is both the grace and the challenge in this. When you encounter Jesus as Lord, He is going to mess with your agendas. He always messes with your agendas. And that's good news because our agendas are what has broken every relationship we've ever been a part of. Our agenda is where we put our trust in little g gods that can't protect us. Our agenda gets us confused where all of a sudden we'll go along with the culture or go against the culture for all the wrong reasons where when we seek and we trust him as, all right, you know what, Jesus, I actually think you're Lord. I actually think your entire agenda is right. I think I'm human, so I'm going to really struggle with that. But I'm going to seek you as big Al Lord, and also big-ass Savior. Then we start to be discipled by him. And slowly but surely... The stuff in our Venn diagram circle starts to get erased. And the stuff in his starts to take precedent. And it takes time, and it's confusing, and you may think something today is 100% right, and you're like, Josh, I know this is the answer. And six months from now, you may be like, ooh. Right? And that's all of us. yo. I as pastor, all right, I am a theologically trained, four years at Concordia Seminary, I believe different things today than I did four years ago. Same Jesus, right? Same Lord and Savior. I'm still following him, but I'm learning that, and my views on things can change. Not because he changed. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the alpha and the mega. Jesus is not changing based on our culture, y'all. That isn't how this works. But every generation thinks they have it right. 200 years ago, in this country... There were churches that taught that slavery was right. And they were confident that they were right. A hundred years ago, there were churches that taught that women shouldn't have the right to vote. And they were confident they were right. Every generation thinks they have it all together. And every generation needs Jesus as Lord and Savior just as much as the next. And as we encounter him, the beauty of it is all of a sudden, I don't have to be so worried about what's going on in the culture. Because the culture's agenda is broken. The culture's agenda is messy. But when we build our agenda on Jesus as Lord and Savior, his promise is that you are building on a firm foundation. A foundation that is not shaken when the storm comes. Not that the storm isn't going to come. No, 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 it's it's coming. It's here. Whipping all around us constantly. And yet, the promise is, but I am for you and I am with you, and I will mold you and shape you, and I will show you an agenda that literally changes the world. An agenda that that conquers death. An agenda that reunites families. An agenda that's upside down to everything the world's going to tell us, and yet when we live in that, we get to have life and life to the full. One of the greatest promises of Jesus the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. Life abundantly, life overflowing. Grace and forgiveness and love and charity. that just pours out from you as we seek Jesus as big our Lord and big S Savior. And that's what Holy Week is all about. It's God's climax of saying, this is how far I will go to have a relationship with you. And even when the crowds shout crucify him, even when I as pastor am not faithfully following him or have got my own agenda that's in play, he says, I'll still die for you. I'll still fight for you. And and I'm going to be here with you on the uh, back end of it as well. And that's where we're going to go for Good Friday and Easter. We're going to be looking at three stories. We're going to look at Peter, we're going to look at John, and we're going to look at Mary. All three of them were with Jesus on the night that he died. All three of them had a very different experience on Good Friday. And all three of them were there the morning Jesus was raised back to life again. And the liberty, and the grace, and the seed, the agenda of God that can beat even death in its full glory is where we are headed for Easter. It's where we head throughout this entire Holy Week. Let's pray. God, you're good. Lord, we give you thanks that your agenda is not our agenda. Lord, our agendas get us in trouble constantly. Lord, they, they break down relationships. They leave us trapped in fear and anxiety and worry. Lord, our agenda brings sin into the equation. Lord, missing the mark... And we come before you now admitting that all of us are part of the problem. All of us are part of the crowds or part of the apostles who would deny that they knew you. Lord, we come before you still struggling with our own agendas. But Lord, we are confident to confess because not only are you big L, Lord, but you are big S, Savior. You are a Messiah who says, I have come to take away the sins of the world. Lord, and that when you declare our sins gone, they are removed. Lord, and you again embrace us and invite us to be disciples of you. Lord God, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. We worship.